The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. ready to get into the word. I'm excited for this season. I love this season. I mean, it, it makes you want to spend hours hanging snowflakes and, you know, you put up lights and you do all of these things because it's such a unique time of the year where we examine and we look at certain things that, that really are foundational in our faith. And I think it's really important for us to celebrate those things. So I want to get into the word this morning. And as we do, I want to offer you a few things that we are... Uh, that we're going to find as we get into the Word. So if you're taking notes, which I strongly encourage, you can write these things down, some things we're going to find as we get into the Scripture. Uh, the one thing, first thing we're going to find is what never stops growing with Jesus. With Jesus, when you become a Christian, when, when you respond to His call to share, He said, my yoke is easy and light. When you are yoked with Jesus, there's something that never stops growing. What never stops growing with Jesus, we're going to see that in the scripture. Now, there may be more than one thing, but we're going to see one specifically. A second thing we're going to find is how to grow the good stuff. How to grow the good stuff. I mean, the, the Bible says that a tree is known by its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears bad fruit. It talks about what happens to the good tree, and it talks about what happens to the bad tree. I want to be the tree that grows the good stuff, and I want you to be the trees that grow the good stuff as well. How to grow the good stuff, we're going to find that too as we get into the Word. And then a third thing we're going to find is how to fulfill Jesus' commandment. How to fulfill the commandment of Jesus Christ. We're going to find out what we can do to see that come to pass in our lives, how we can respond to the Scripture and what's necessary to fulfill the commandment that He gives us as his uh, disciples. So I want to get right into the word here, and it's a very seasonal passage of Scripture, very holiday-oriented passage of Scripture, but yet foundational in our faith. If you have your Bibles, open to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9. I want to look in here in uh, verse six, 6, excuse me, and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And if you go before 6, you're going to, to open up in, in verse 5 there, you're going to see that unto us a child is born. I mean, just like the song that we were singing a moment ago that has a very holiday-oriented themes behind it, foundational in our faith, a declaration prophetically that God would send our Savior, the Messiah, into the world as a baby. For unto us a, a child shall be given. Now, if you get to verse 6 here, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Now, I mentioned before we're going to find something that is always growing in Jesus. Something that never stops growing. It never peaks. It never maxes out. You never come to the place where it's reached fruition and it's done, where it casts its fruit and begins to wither or regress. It's always advancing, always growing, always increasing. When we're yoked to Jesus Christ, there's no increase to his ruler reign in our lives and peace. Those two things go hand in hand. The more Jesus is in control 
the more peace we walk in. His name is the Prince of Peace. It's a wonderful thing to consider this season that God would send into our lives, that he would send into the world the very source of peace, that peace could prevail in every situation, every circumstance, that it never has a limit or a quota or a capacity, but it's always on the increase in our lives. I want to give you a passage of scripture here of what peace can accomplish. I mean, there's some things that peace brings into our lives, and it can help us understand why God would send the Prince of Peace into our lives. Why he would see to it that he would meet this need that we would have, a need for peace, a need for never-ending peace, constantly growing peace, ever-expanding peace. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of the book of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I want to look at verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. We're speaking about peace, and it begins with these words, Now may the God of peace. Now I like to stop there because I think it's important to acknowledge what's being set up. There's about to be this, this promise or this, this uh, uh, wonderful encouragement that comes, but it's being set up on this, uh, uh, this fact, this truth. That God is the God of peace. Now may the God of peace. And if we just are reading quickly or, or we're, we're moving uh, uh, along, we can overlook that. But I think it's important to stop there and acknowledge what those words are communicating. That God is the God of peace. I mean, he's the God of peace. And if we think about that for a moment, it's going to reveal some really powerful and awesome truths. And the, the word that, that is really important to take a look at there is that little word of. I mean, of is an interesting word, even though it's, it's not the, the, the word that your eye would be drawn to as you read the passage of Scripture. Uh, it's, it's probably, by most accounts, considered the least important word. It could very well be the most important word in that passage. That God is the God of peace. Of is a possessive word. I mean, you've heard this example before. I mean, this is my Bible. Uh, it's, it's in need of some attention. It's a little worn out. But if I left this here at the church and, and you left your Bible here and we came in here and, and we were looking for our Bibles, it would be pretty obvious that that one belongs to me. I mean, it looks like mine. It's messed up. It's torn up. And, and it's just it's, it's pretty obvious. That's Preston's Bible, meaning it belongs to me. It's Preston's Bible. You could also say that's the Bible of Preston possessive. So God is the God of peace. I mean, of is a possessive word there. And when we see that, it can open up our understanding. It can make a way for us to, to come into a, a place of seeing clearly that peace belongs to God. Now, the world is constantly promising peace through, through other means. I mean, whether it's uh, through, through sin or corruption or compromise a treaty or, or some kind of agreement. There's promises of peace throughout the world. And the Bible warns of that. It warns of, of a time or a people who will make a declaration, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Any peace that is outside of God's provision is not peace at all. It may be temporary relief, but ultimately it's going to lead to chaos. God is possessive of peace. He holds all peace. Now may the God of peace, as we get back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, now may the God of peace himself 
sanctify you entirely. Sanctify, meaning set you apart. It's a word of consecration, a purification, but purification with a purpose, a role. God's doing this work in my life and in your life, and I think it's amazing that this wonderful and necessary work for all of us as Christians is founded upon God being possessive of peace. I mean, nobody in the room would think that it was wrong if Paul would have written this and said, now may the God of love sanctify you. Nobody would stand and say, well, that's not right, because God is the God of love. But this man, inspired by the Holy Spirit as he's writing this, speaks of God as possessing peace during this process of sanctification. May the God of peace, may the God who possesses all peace himself, sanctify you entirely. Now, entirely is wonderful there. It speaks of of every aspect of your being. May your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your spirit, you have a spirit. I mean, oftentimes we are in pursuit of becoming spiritual in our lives. And the truth is you can't get more spirit than spirit. You are spirit. Truly our pursuit of spirituality or being more spiritual is to be sensitive to our spirit and not be led by other things like our bodies, our carnal appetites. But you're a spirit. You also are a soul. And you're a body. Now when I think about the soul, it's very easy for us to confuse or, or, or cross lines between your spirit and your soul. But it's easy for me, and it may be easy for you, to see your soul as existing in the realm of your mind. I mean, your, your intelligence and your imagination and, and your, uh, the things that we would, would describe as your, your personality and those things. I, I look at my sons. When I had children, I saw something great. I mean, I realized that, you know, you, you go and you, you, you know that kids are on the way. And, and I remember the first time we went into the doctor's office for, for uh, what was a sonogram and things like that. And, you know, they... They, for some reason, they wouldn't let me in the room. That was weird. Do you remember that? I wasn't allowed in the room, so I was outside of the room. And, and I remember they were preparing Ashley for the sonogram, you know, and they put the stuff on there and then start doing And then you, you got all that stuff going on. And, and I just remember standing outside of the door, and I didn't know why they wouldn't let me in there. Now, we had always prayed for twins. I mean, we believed God for twins. I, Ashley is just a little bit older than I am. And so, you know, we had this master plan. Well, we're going to be married, then we'll build a family at this time. And Well, we got to that time, and we thought, you know, hey, I, I'm not in a hurry if you're not in a hurry. And so we, you know, and then we kind of got to the time where it's like, hey, it's go time. We gotta... So we got together, and we just prayed and said, God, will you, will you help us make up for that lost time? Give us twins, you know. It was a little more eloquent than that, but that's kind of the spirit of it. We want, will you please give us twins? And I'm standing outside of the door, you know, and she's in there and they're doing all that stuff with that thing. And, and they, I just start to hear her cry and laugh. You know that, right? Where it's like, I, I don't know. Should I kick in the door and do kung fu? Like, what are you doing to my wife? Or should I celebrate? I mean, what's going on? It's kind of this like cry slash laugh. And then I, the door kind of cracks and I walk in and kind of smile. And I just know. I know that I know. It's twins. And sure enough, it was. It was this, this wonderful, wonderful thing. And as we, we stood there and as we heard these things, it, there was a, an understanding, there was an awareness that we were going to have children. 
that they were on the way. Now, fast forward to, you know, having the actual children. You hold them in your hands and you realize, you know, as you're holding that little, you know, five or six pound body in your hands, you're thinking, that, that's half me. And the good half is her. <laughs> and, and you just kind of, like, and, and that's, that's true. I mean, their, their bodies are this genetic combination of, of me and, and her. But there's something that I could never make. There's something that's not genetic. I mean, as my two sons grew and, and you know, they were born at the same time, they, they, they had the same life experiences together at the same time, you began to see that no matter how much they had in common, they were absolutely unique. The more that they would, would speak and talk and have preferences and likes and dislikes and things like that, I saw that they were unique and it was an understanding. I realized that that though they're the, the, their bodies are, are this genetic result of, of me and my wife, their souls are something that God put together absolutely unique. That he wove their being together, their identity, who they are as a person in their minds, the thing that makes them more than just meat, flesh, and bone is what God put together. And the passage here out of Thessalonians is saying that 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 is a part that God's sanctifying. He's sanctifying your spirit man. He's sanctifying your soul that that is your your being, your person. And then he's sanctifying your bodies. He's, He's doing all of this. And he's doing all of this identified as the God of peace. It makes me think peace is pretty important here. Peace is going to be very in, foundational in the sanctification process of my spirit man and the sanctification process of my soul and the sanctification process of my body. Peace. Peace is a, a fruit of the Spirit. If you have in your, your notes there, you want to turn there, you're welcome to. We're not going to spend much time there, but Galatians 5, 22 through 23 lists off the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the things that the Holy Spirit produces in and through the believer's life, love and joy and peace, patience for some of us. For me, that one is tough sometimes. And kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, those are really things that the Holy Spirit is is producing through our lives. And as we begin to surrender to his leading, those things become the product of our words and our actions. When we resist his leading, those things can be hard to come by. God's covenant is the covenant of peace. It'll just, the only reason why I want to share these is to put the importance of and the value of peace. That it's more than just a decoration this time of year. More than just a word that we include in our songs, peace on earth. But that we see peace as something that God has invaded the earth with for a purpose. That purpose being your very sanctification. The sanctification of your entire being, your spirit, your soul, your body. That peace is the result of surrendering to the Holy Spirit. And peace is at the foundation of God's covenant. Isaiah chapter 54 verse 10. It says, the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will never be taken away from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken. I mean, once again, Isaiah could have said, my covenant of love. 
or my covenant of kindness. He could have said anything there and he'd get no argument from anyone who's ever had an encounter with God because God is loving and he's kind. But inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's revealing to us that God's covenant is identified as a covenant of peace. Peace is crucial in making up the very kingdom of God. I'll give you a passage of scripture out of Romans, Romans 14, 17. It says, the kingdom of God consists of or is made up of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I'm starting to see now why peace on earth is such a big deal. Why when shepherds would encounter the the angels and they would respond and say, I bring you good news of a great joy. It'll be a sign to you that you'll find in Bethlehem a child lying in swaddling clothes in a manger. When they they hear all of this, the angel would then have the hosts of heaven appear along with it and they would sing peace on earth. What a wonderful thing that God's doing, bringing peace into the earth. That which is necessary for our sanctification that which is the result of us being led by His Spirit, the foundation of His covenant, that which makes up His kingdom, it's required for righteousness. As Jesus Christ has purified us from all sin and corruption, He's imparted to us His Spirit that we might bear peace as a fruit. And peace is necessary for us to live out lives of righteousness. I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture here. You remember earlier when we had those three things, that second thing was how to grow the good stuff. How to grow the good stuff. James chapter 3, verse 18. James chapter 3, verse 18, it reads like this. The seed whose fruit is righteousness. Okay, well, that's growing the good stuff. The seed whose fruit is righteousness. I mean, if I said the seed whose fruit is apples, you would understand that's the seed that when you put it in the earth and you cultivate it and you water it and you tend to it, it ultimately produces apples. So the seed whose fruit is righteousness is the seed that once it's sown, once it's cultivated and cared for, it takes root, it grows, and it produces righteousness. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What an amazing passage of Scripture. You know what it tells me is it tells me that there's never a time where I'm going to bring about righteousness through anger and rage. There's never a time that I'm going to bring about righteousness through vengeance. There's never a time that I'm going to bring about righteousness through those acts of aggression that are the opposite of what God has brought into my life through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, by His grace, peace. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. When I ponder that scripture, I think of how many opportunities were squandered in my life, in communication with people, in communication with my wife, in communication over things that were disputes that I can't even remember the dispute. I just know it caused problems. It led to chaos. It led to disruption. All because I was not willing to sow those seeds in peace by making peace, pursuing peace. And it led to all kinds of discord, disruption, conflict. It's important for us 
to see peace as a priority, a priority in our words and a priority in our actions, because it's only when acting in peace can we sow those seeds that produce righteousness. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of Isaiah, Isaiah 32, 17. It says, the works of the righteous will be peace. Not might be, not could be, not sometimes are, but the works of the righteous will be peace. So I want to look at a few things that get in the way of peace in my life. God has made a way for peace through Jesus. It's the the season that we celebrate here as we close in on Christmas. We hear of peace. We decorate with the word peace. It becomes at the the centerpiece of all of the things that that make up our, our culture in this season, peace. There are things that prevent peace. There are reasons why God had to send peace into the earth. Because there are those things that assault peace. And when we respond to God's word, his instruction and his counsel, we make a way for peace to prevail regardless of the assault against it. So I want to give a few things here. These are things that that can assault our peace. They're things that can hinder peace in our lives. One, the first one I want to give is wickedness. Now, it's not really the word you might have been thinking, but wickedness is a word that's in the scripture. And it's in there on purpose, because you could easily just say, you know, sin or something like that, but sin can be unintentional. I could unknowingly sin against you, and when you reveal it to me, I immediately make amends and repent. It wasn't intentional. It was truly accidental, or or it wasn't a a failure to see clearly, an, an error. But wickedness is something that's altogether different. Wickedness is, I know I did it, and I'd do it again. I did it on purpose, and I'm okay with it. Wickedness is this intentional act that's outside of of God's will or his plan that is absolutely and 100% unrepented for. So there's a few passages of Scripture here. Uh, Isaiah chapter 48, verse 22 is really interesting to me. It reads like this. It says, there's no peace for the wicked. I mean, that's kind of funny, right? I mean, God could have said anything. He could have said, I don't like wickedness. Or he could have said, there's judgment in store for the wicked. Or he could have said, the wicked are going to burn in fire. He could have said it, but he said, you know what? For the wicked, there's no peace. No peace. There's no peace for the wicked. So in my pursuit of peace, in my awareness of peace and all of its wonderful properties, that, that it's at the foundation of my sanctification, that it's, it's part of making up the kingdom of heaven, that it's, it's at the foundation of God's covenant, when you see that it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit as we're spirit-led, as, as we pursue peace for all of its value, we need to understand that wickedness has to go. There's no two-faced fellowship with God. Well, I know I do that and he hates it, but I'm going to keep on doing it because uh, I want to or it feels good. Wickedness, intentional corruption has got to be laid down. We've got to be open for God's leading and his guiding. We've got to be able to surrender and say, Father, if that is not of your will, if that is not of your plan and you desire to lead me away from it, lead on and I will follow. I will abandon all of those things. All of their trappings or all of their pleasures, I will leave them behind in pursuit of where you are leading me. I will not remain in wickedness. Psalm 119 verse 165 says, Those who love your law have great peace 
and nothing causes them to stumble. I mean, that word law can be a hang-up for us when we come into the, the mercy and the grace of God through Jesus. But I've just got a real simple example. I mean, in my own house, I've got children. I love them unconditionally. We used to make up songs at night, you know, and sing them before it was time for bed. And one of the songs was, I won't sing it to you, though I'm tempted. The words were, I love Lincoln. I love Maddox. No matter what you do, I always will love you. And it went on to close your eyes, close your eyes, go to sleep, go to sleep. And by the time you were done singing this song, you know, you're just... <laughs> so that love was just unconditional. But yet my house still had rules. Lots of rules. Uh, don't throw that. Don't climb on that. Don't set that on fire. You know, basic rules, things like that. So when we read about this passage of Scripture, we read, you know, those who love the law of God, God set parameters for us to live by. Parameters that lead to life and prosperity. He, he's guiding us. When he has chosen the example of shepherd to a flock, a, a shepherd leads his flock to where to go. He leads them away from where they'll be devoured. He leads them to where they will prosper. And that's what God's law or his words are for those who are in his word, for those who are called by his name, for those who are in Christ. His word, his instruction, his counsel is leading me and guiding me to that place where I flourish. So as we read this passage of Scripture, we can understand that those who love God's direction, those who love His instruction, those who love His law have great peace. And then it goes on to say, and nothing causes them to stumble. I like this passage out of the Proverbs. Proverbs 16, verse 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Here's a, a couple of passages of Scripture. I mean, we see that, that wickedness, this, this rebellious, I'm going to do it anyway kind of attitude is going to cut off peace, that peace that's necessary for the kingdom to flourish in our life, that's peace that is the result of following the Holy Spirit, that peace that's at the foundation of God's covenant, that peace that, that is uh, part of the sanctification process that God's bringing into our lives through Jesus. When we see that wickedness has to go, these are great passages of Scripture to confirm that. Romans chapter 16, if you look at verses 19 and 20, you'll see that as the book of Romans is being written, inspired by the Holy Spirit, this declaration is being made, this call to be innocent in all those things that are wicked or evil, and to be excellent in the things that are good and godly. And then it's attached to this promise that when we will cut off the wickedness, that intentional, I know it's wrong for me to act that way, I know it's wrong for me to behave that way, but it's just who I am, so deal with it. When we're willing to be changed and transformed, when we're willing to let that wicked behavior be a thing of the past and be transformed into the likeness of God as he's designed, there's a wonderful promise. When we become innocent of the wickedness and excellent in the good. It says the God of peace in verse 20. Did you hear that? God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I mean, that's a passage of scripture we could camp out on all day. Once again, we're back to the God of peace. 
Any descriptive word that describes God could have been inserted there, but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, inserted the word peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I mean, I think that's great. Not even his feet. So what you're not getting here is, and if anyone's been tuned into, you know, the political scene, you know, the quid pro quo, if you will do this for me, then I will do this for you. He's not saying, hey, listen, if you'll behave yourself, then I'll go kick Satan's tail. But if you mess up, get ready for Satan to come jump on you and I'm just going to stand there and watch. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is, listen, when you can shed wickedness, when you can pursue excellence... As the God of peace, I will soon crush Satan under your feet. Because when you shed wickedness, when you shed that rebellion that says, I'm going to do it anyway, even though I know it's wrong, because, you know, God loves me and he won't hold me accountable for it, so it's going to be okay. When you can shed that nonsense and we can begin to say, God, I surrender my life to you. Let everything that's rebellious be uncovered and revealed. Even if it means temporary embarrassment, let it be uncovered. I want to be true. I want to be strong. I want to be all that you've called me to and all that you have equipped me to be in Jesus. Let my full body, mind, and and soul, my spirit be surrendered to you for sanctification. When we come to that place, God does something under our feet. He crushes Satan through you, through your works of righteousness. Through your words and actions, your expansion of the kingdom of God, just like Jesus said, I have come to destroy the works of the devil, so have you. I'll give you another passage of scripture there out of the Psalms. Psalm 34, verse 14. It says, depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. When I read that passage of scripture, you could divide it into two things and just say, well, they're just two good things to do. Depart from evil and and seek what's good and, and, you know, seek after peace and pursue it. But I see them as connected to one another. In order for me to seek peace and pursue it, I must first depart from evil and do good. If I'm going to have peace in a conversation where there's conflict or there's, there's, dis, there's just a, a disruption of peace, I'm going to first have to not want to hurt that person, not want to have to get back at that person, not want to prove that I'm right at all cost with that person, but I'm going to have to relax and find out what is the pathway of peace. And it's only then that I can pursue it. Because all of those other things will cloud and get into the way. They will lead astray. And they'll result in separation or chaos. There's another thing that gets in the way of peace. Another reason why God has sent peace into the world through Jesus and his spirit. Anxiety. I mean, anxiety seems to be kind of the natural enemy of peace, right? Somewhat of an opposite. Uh, I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It's a call to be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ. I love that. I love that. You know, here's here's something that it it doesn't say, because I want to focus on what it does say. It, It doesn't say something like, be anxious for nothing, but in everything... In prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and then he's going to send the angels to come and kill all of those punks that are causing you grief. 
Oh, it just says, listen, when you can come to the place where you're willing to surrender your anxiety to God, and in prayer and in supplication, thanksgiving, trust in him to hear your request. That is when the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. I like that part too. Have you ever been like the only sane person in the room? Where everyone else is wigging out and freaking out and thinking, oh my God, what are we going to do? 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 But you can just sit there and be like, what's the big deal? But this is what that's kind of talking about. It, per- it surpasses all comprehension. Everyone else's comprehension just thinks you're nuts. But you can sit there steady, understanding that it's the peace of God that is now going to prevail in this situation. Not, not my, the strength of my arm or, or some outside uh, uh, promise of relief, but only the peace of God will deliver. And it's that that guards hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. I love that. In Christ. The fact that all of this peace, all of this protection in our hearts and in our minds is in Jesus. The fact that God would send Jesus on our behalf leads us to a point where we understand there's nothing that he won't do to rescue me. There's no price that he won't pay to deliver me. There's no point where he gets tired of me or bored, where I was his hobby for a season and now he's moved on to something else. But this peace that's in my heart and in my mind is secured by Jesus Christ, the testament that God will never leave, never forsake, that there's no price too high that he wouldn't pay, that he will see this through to victory. I give you a passage of scripture out of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 and 12 says, Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend their prayers. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend their prayers. You've never been more righteous, and you'll never be more righteous than you are in Jesus Christ. Ever. That in Jesus Christ, I am righteous, meaning my prayers are heard, meaning that God's eyes are upon me. That is what is empowering me to seek peace and pursue it rather than turn tail and run. A third thing that can interfere with peace or try to, to corrupt the peace in our life is confusion. Confusion. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33 says that God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Now that's interesting to me. It's interesting enough to include in the message, and it's interesting enough to stop and pause and let us think about that. Because I tend to deal in opposites, right? I mean, like, if, if you had something that was weak, you would respond to that with something that was strong or or, you know, if you had something that was cold and, and you needed to respond to that, you would respond to it with something that was warm or something that was hot. When I see this and I see God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of peace, it really stands out to me. I mean, if somebody were asking me to, to write a response to God's not a God of confusion, but I would probably write he's a God of order or something like that. But what I'm seeing here is that according to this this passage of Scripture, the opposite, so to speak, of confusion isn't order. It's peace. It's peace. God's not a God of confusion. Rather, he's a God of peace. 
I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That same sanctification that we spoke of out of Thessalonians. That which has an effect on your spirit, that which has an effect on your soul, your mind, how you think and how you process, and that which has an effect on your body. Having the ability to alter, to change, to influence our appetites. Leading all of the confusion that exists in this world to surrender to the power of God's sanctification. The thoughts, the urges, the things that would exist that would seem to lead away that you could easily say, well, God gave me this, why is it bad? God gave us these things that they might be surrendered to him, that they might be led by his spirit, that we might grow in him through his sanctification of peace. And all of the chaos, all of the confusion comes into the perfect order that exists in his peace. I'll give you another thing that can hinder the peace that can exist in our lives through Jesus, the peace that's called to exist in our lives through Jesus. Revenge. Revenge. I told you before we were going to find in our word today how to fulfill the command of Jesus. We're going to find that out here. You'll know throughout the scripture, you'll hear Jesus speak of, of the commandments. Which of these is the greatest commandment? was a question that was often asked of him. A challenge, people attempting to trap him. And he would give the response and the answer that was perfect and truth. That's every word he spoke was spirit and life, perfection and truth. You'll find in Matthew, in, in chapter 22, somewhere around verse 39, he's responding to that question. He's answering of the greatest commandment and the command that, that he would charge us with. It was to love God with all that we are. That full sanctification, spirit and soul and body. And then he would say, and the next is like it, meaning these two aren't separated. It's not first and then second, but these are connected to love your neighbor as yourself. To love your neighbor as yourself. Now he was speaking this word to a group of people who knew and understood the, the scripture, the Torah, the Old Testament scripture. And even as Christians today, we can speak about loving your neighbor and we're still left kind of scratching our heads, kind of like, well, what does that mean? You know, I mean, who counts as my neighbor or, or, or how, how much does it take before I can check off that box and have officially loved that guy? But, but loving your neighbor is spoken of in the book of Leviticus. It's identified, it's, it's described in the book of Leviticus. I think it's important for us to see it in the word. Leviticus 19 verse 18, if you want to write it down for your notes or go there in the scripture. When it speaks of loving your neighbor as yourself, it reads like this. It, in Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, You shall not take revenge or bear a grudge against any of your people. You shall not take revenge nor bear a grudge. Rather, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. No revenge, no grudge holding. Rather, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. When I read that passage of Scripture, I see loving my neighbor being defined, being identified, the actions that are necessary, not the actual physical actions, but the heart behind those actions, the motive behind those actions, the willingness to not vindicate oneself, the willingness to pardon and forgive is how we love our neighbor. You won't hold a grudge. You won't take revenge. Rather, you'll love your neighbor 
as yourself. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of Romans. Romans 12, verses 17 and 18. It says, never pay back evil to anyone. I mean, that's revenge, right? You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Never pay back evil to anyone. When possible, so far, it is, is so far as it depends on you, pursue peace or be at peace with all men. Never pay back evil. Never take revenge. But pursue peace with all men. That tells me that when I'm taking revenge, I'm not pursuing peace. And if I'm not pursuing peace, I'm not pursuing that which has the power to sanctify, which is at the foundation of God's covenant, which is a result of being led by His Spirit. I'm not pursuing that which makes up His kingdom along with righteousness and joy. When I'm taking revenge, I'm not pursuing that which has that power and authority to bring His kingdom into the earth. I'll give you a passage of Scripture here as we close in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. It reads like this, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Pursue for things, excuse me, the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. I want to close with that passage for this reason. Because oftentimes we can realize something. Well, okay, I see now that peace is important. I see that, that peace is powerful. and So I'm going to pursue peace. But then peace becomes to be uh, something that is a little relative. Well, so what is peace? Well, peace is her shutting her mouth. Or, or peace is him getting in line. Or, or peace is, is that guy over there getting his act together. All of a sudden, peace becomes something that has to be uh, defined. And I see peace defined here in this passage of Scripture, and I hope that you can as well. Pursue the things which make for peace, those things which build up one another. I'm never going to pursue peace with my wife by beating her down. I'm never going to pursue peace with a coworker by belittling them or bullying them. I'm never going to be in pursuit of peace through any of those acts that do not build up the person in which the peace is being pursued with. When we pursue peace, it ought to result in those parties involved being built up, not being torn down. Upon that, I'd like to ask you to stand with me this morning. I love this season, the holiday season, to speak about things like, like joy and peace and to let the word show the importance and the meaning and the value and the purpose. It opens up our eyes and our hearts and our minds to an understanding of why God would send Jesus. We so desperately need peace. If it's peace that opens up the doors for sanctification, if it's peace that uh, makes up the kingdom of God, if it's peace that's at the foundation of His covenant, if it's peace that is the result of us following after His Spirit, then no wonder, through the coming of our Savior, our King Jesus, the declaration would be peace on earth peace into my life and peace into your life. 
That call to expand peace, to understand that how we carry ourselves when peace is assaulted is the difference between the kingdom of God being expanded or the kingdom of God being hindered should affect how we see ourselves. We're the carriers and the catalyst for peace to be released into the earth because you're the carrier of the Holy Ghost whose fruit is peace. And as we live out our lives producing peace, we're spreading that which has the power to sanctify. We're spreading that which makes up the kingdom of God, which is at the foundation of His covenant with His people. We're spreading that which has the power to deliver. All of the promises that we stand upon. And as we pursue peace, as we commit to one another, that when we engage with each other, when we hold fellowship with each other, and when we hold fellowship with those outside of these walls, our commitment is to respond to the call of God and pursue peace, to build each other up. I think you open up the doors for revival. I want to pray, I want to ask God to do something in our hearts and our minds this morning before we dismiss. To reveal to us the priority of peace and how we can be the catalyst for peace through our words and our actions. And I want to trust that by his spirit, a mighty work will be done in each one of us. And that an increase of peace, just as it's promised with the coming of our Savior, would be the result in each one of our lives. So there where you stand, you're welcome to agree with me. You're welcome to simply stand in a state of receiving. Father, we bless your name. We thank you for your word, and we receive it as truth. We thank you for Jesus. We receive him as the Prince of Peace. And we rejoice that you would do these magnificent works on our behalf. Works of sanctification. That you would stabilize us with an unshakable kingdom. That you would position us to function and operate just like Jesus, tearing down the works of the devil and establishing your kingdom everywhere we go. Let our work not be in vain, that we wouldn't go around pursuing what we believe to be righteous, but let us sow the seeds of righteousness in peace. Let peace be at the forefront of our prayers. Father, make us to be carriers of peace that we would walk in peace, that we would speak words of peace, that we would think thoughts of peace, and let peace be transferred everywhere we go. We rejoice in this magnificent thing that you have established on our behalf, that we could be in your presence, and that you would be with us, and that everywhere we would go, you would give us peace. We praise your name and we thank you for this. Let our mouths be surrendered to you to be transformed. Let our minds be open to you to be renewed. Let our hearts be softened to be purified. That peace would be pursued with all men at all times. That we would truly become the body of Christ, building up one another and building up all of those around us by walking out our lives and living out our lives in and through peace. We bless your name and we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.